Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host of this podcast, and I have the wonderful privilege to be here with Marcus Boyd. Marcus Boyd is an active duty Coast Guard officer currently serving in the Los Angeles Long Beach area. His role is Assistant Chief of Waterways Management and Diversity and Inclusion Change Agent. He enlisted in the Coast Guard in 2006 as his father praised their missions and ability to pay for college. His favorite assignments include Base New Orleans, where he was awarded Enlisted Person of the Year in 2013, and Recruiting Office Tampa, where he was awarded Active Duty Recruiter of the Year in 2018. His passion in recruiting came from noticing the lack of credibility for the Coast Guard in underprivileged communities. He aimed to build relationships to ensure as many people as possible were educated on the unique opportunities of joining the Coast Guard. These assignments provided a greater desire to serve, and he eventually accepted a commission at Officer Candidate School, where he was awarded the Commandant Leadership Award upon graduating in March of 2020. He spent much of his childhood moving to new cities due to being raised in a military family. These include Monterey, California, Jacksonville, Arkansas, Fort Hood, Texas, and Rochester, Minnesota. This is where he gained the love of travel, seeing live sporting events, good food, and meeting new people. Constantly being the new kid gave him a greater sense of humility to survive in changing environments and the desire to take care of those around him. In 2015, he fulfilled his initial goal and when joining the Coast Guard by receiving a bachelor's degree from Loyola University in New Orleans. He's married to his beautiful wife, Ellen, and they have two children, Myla and Mars. Well, welcome, Marcus. Thanks for being on today. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited. I met Marcus from an opportunity I had to take some Mexican Navy officers to sector Los Angeles, Long Beach. And he was one of the coordinators of that trip, one of the project officers. And and it was just wonderful to see you interact there and to see your team. And I know that you got super busy and there was a big case that week, but still Marcus continued to check in on me, texted, and he showed great leadership and poise, although being pulled in many different directions to make sure the visit went well. And on top of that, one of my mentors and favorite leaders, the sector commander there, Captain Orr, soon to be Admiral Orr, recommended that I have Marcus on the show. And I was like, oh, absolutely. So welcome, Marcus. I'm super excited to have you today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, but uh, your love for New Orleans. Captain Orr made sure I speak to you because there's not too many people who love that city more than we do. So I was glad to connect on that too. When you're connected to New Orleans, you're automatically family. So it, it surpasses ethnic backgrounds, cultures, all things. People in New Orleans are just automatically family. So that in and of itself made us have to get together today. Absolutely. Well, I love your role. You've done a ton of work, you know, both representing underprivileged communities and helping them see the benefit of the Coast Guard and and being a change agent there. You're also a part of the Leadership Diversity Advisory Council there at the sector. So you do a ton of work to help build an inclusive leadership and community within the Coast Guard, both locally and nationally. And that's really admirable. So talk to me a little bit more about that. What drives you with that? And and what do you hope to do more with that? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. It's really retention. The Coast Guard does a great job of recruiting in a lot of different areas and bringing in diverse pool of candidates, but you have to make sure everybody feels like they belong if they're going to stay in this service. And so something I've seen in the past or people get to units and they don't have a lot of others that look like them and they don't feel they belong. They don't feel like they're part of the team. They don't feel like they have adequate support when they're going through their own unique experiences. And so to some extent, I've seen that be a failure and they ultimately leave the service. So throughout my career, I've tried to be part of committees, be part of the different organizations we have to make everybody feel like they're part of this team and ultimately stay in the service. The Coast Guard is awesome. 
But if people don't feel welcome, you know, they're going to leave. Yeah, I think that that's super important. And I've had a lot of good conversations with that in a private setting, but oftentimes we don't hear those conversations taking true deep roots or addressing the issues in a public setting. And do you think that that's part of the issue that we're just not having the right conversations in the open? 100%. um, 100%. You're always going to find at least one or two people at your unit that understand what you're going through and hear you out. But if you don't feel that's echoed throughout an entire command or entire unit, you're just not going to feel that it's sincere. And so one thing we do here at Sector LA or Los Angeles, Long Beach, is we have a conversation series. So once a month, once every other month, we take a different topic that's usually recommended from people throughout our base on any different type of inclusion related thing they've seen or think is important. And we have usually 30 to 40 people and we just talk about it. And what our goal is, is to not change people's minds. That's not what we're trying to do. I'm not trying to say you're from here, you're wrong. We're just trying to add perspective to people. So we talk about these topics and it gives everyone um, more exposure to what everyone's going through. And that way, individuals can actually feel heard uh, where they work and be able to chime in and talk about it and get that sense of belonging and understanding. Yeah, that's very, very crucial, I think, to building an inclusive community and also an open and welcoming community that brings in diverse cultures. Now, A couple of things I think that are vital for those conversations being productive is one is respect. I think it's absolutely vital that we have a level of respect that people are hearing and listening from a standpoint of that they want to understand, not to stay their own point or whatnot. And also, I think it's important that people trust that they're going to be able to speak their mind and not have any repercussions or not have anybody look down upon them. And so how do you go about in your role influencing that respect and trust to make those crucial conversations you're having more accepting and productive. Yeah, that's really tough, the trust part. And you know, so what we do is at the beginning of each conversation, we go ahead and we reiterate what our ground rules are. And those are part of it. You know, we want everybody to speak their truth to power, to be open and honest, but also know that we're not here to attack anyone. So we're here to learn, listen and learn, not to change minds. And that's hard to do. We can enter these conversations with that intention, but there's things that are said that just trigger people. And so we try to reiterate that. And we've had miscues and we've had to have conversations solely on how do we rebuild that trust? How do we have these conversations when you just really don't agree with what others say? And I think if you start that and it starts, we like to say, start with heart. If everyone on the line knows it's coming from a good place, even when you do disagree, even when you do potentially cross that line, we can take a step back and come back because we know that we're on the same page. We have the same goal, but it comes down to just letting everybody know that we have a certain goal for this conversation. Um, We're not here to attack. Just listen and learn. I like that a lot. It starts with heart. And I think uh, even at a deeper level, when people know you care about them, when you show you're invested in them, you can have tougher conversations. No, I, I totally agree because that's how it is. We all come from different walks of life. We have things that are ingrained in us embedded in us through how we were raised. It doesn't necessarily make us bad people. Sometimes we just need to hear that other side. We need to hear that perspective. I mean, it's tough to hear that sometimes, but uh, when it's coming from a good place, typically the results are good. Yeah, I I was talking to a good friend of mine, Marquisio Robinson, about some of these same things and how we just fail to really 
take these conversations to the next level and talk about things. And I think sometimes people think they understand issues, but they just don't have real experience with them. And we were talking real about you know, multi-generational poverty and how hard it is to break that cycle. And, and some people think it's just an income issue. You know, maybe if they made more money or maybe if they had, you know, just more resources. But the reality is, is that it's not just income or, or resources. It's, you know, whole thought processes. It's the investments you make in your, your generations, your children and all the people after them and how over years and years and years, you just haven't learned how to manage money or how to take advantage of opportunities posed to you. And, and so there's this whole other issue of changing the opportunities and the culture and the thought process with people not just giving them more resources. And I think sometimes people that haven't had to face any issues with poverty or even, you know, one generation, let alone multi-generations, they don't understand how deep rooted the problem is. And so they think that in today's world, that everyone has the same amount of opportunities and that's just not the case. And so how do we explain things like that to someone that, you know, maybe, didn't have those same issues so that they can understand just how deep the problem is so that we can help recognize how to provide a better source of equity to people around us. You just hit a lot of good stuff, a lot of valid good stuff. And what I've learned is when you do deal with individuals, but it's hard to get across to them, you have to, someone they know has to be going through this. You have to find something that connects with them because if not, they'll be stuck in that same way. And I'll tell you, for me, that's why I have such a passion for that. Where my family's originally from, it is a very impoverished, it's a very small town where the resources are very limited. And my father joining the military and putting me in a new network set me up for much better things. And I'm aware of that, he made sure I was. Him and my mom were very good at making sure I knew. And so now I understand that I have some privileges that a lot of my family, they don't. And it's not strictly income, it's resources, it's the school I went to, it's all of these things. And so that's why I strive to make sure that I'm kind of paying that forward and kind of talking to others and making sure people understand what that looks like for the rest of my family who didn't have some of these resources. But they have to actually be talking to someone that they trust or they have to see it happen to someone they love. They have to see someone they love with this lack of resources or someone they trust. And I mean, it's hard to do that. You don't always have an example, but for some people, if you don't have that clear example for them, it's really hard to get through to them. Yeah, I think that's super important. You know, that really touches home to me in a lot of ways and not just, you know, multi-generational poverty, but a lot of different really tough issues. They really take on life when we, they become personal to us. And, you know, one of the things I've thought about over and over again is how do we make these issues more personal so that they take on more life to a, a wider audience, not just a select few, because that's how we really move the needle is by exposing people to how tough these issues really are. And I think a one good way to do that is to get active in the community and not just your community, because oftentimes our communities are very homogenous. So we need to get outside our immediate community and look beyond that. And as we do that, you know, those people become real to us. Those issues become real to us. And then we can start to see a broader perspective of some of these issues we're talking about that we reduce down to numbers. I totally agree. And that's uncomfortable to do. And sometimes it's hard to, to swallow that truth to see what people are actually going through when you take the time to learn. But it just opens your mind up to so much. And it just makes you a better person, better person to be around because you have more empathy when people around you are going through things now that you've been exposed to it. Yeah, I love it. Now, is there anything else you do there at the sector besides crucial conversations to kind of expose people to 
more viewpoints and more opportunities? Like what all, what else are you working on there at the sector? Yeah. So I think we talked about making it personal. So when we started the conversation series, it was mostly in-house. It was us coming up with topics and talking about it as a group. We would break out into small groups, but I feel like, you know, people get tired of hearing the same voice. And so what we've done the last few months is we being, we bring people in from outside of our unit. So we found a Coast Guard member that fully transitioned from being a woman to a man. They came and told their story. And you can see someone that you respect in the Coast Guard or higher up talk about it. Um, I brought in recently one of my friends who's the second ever to do what she does in the Coast Guard and the history of the Coast Guard to tell her story. So we've tried to get as many credible voices to come and talk to our sector to kind of give it even a bigger, a bigger, you know, a voice and a bigger light. And I think that's done some some wonders because, you know, people don't want to hear the same person talk, you know, every month. They like me. They love what I'm trying to do here. But by bringing more credibility and having these speakers that are known throughout the Coast Guard come and talk to us, I think it's been really cool, really good opportunity. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's true. We can say the same things over and over again, and it just becomes an echo, right? So it's really good to get other people's voices and expose different viewpoints. And, you know, I know Marcus is someone that people just they're gravitate towards and they like him, but there's always going to be one or two people you don't reach, right? Oh, no matter who you are, no matter what your personality is, there's always going to be someone you don't reach. And so finding different ways to present information and different viewpoints will help you reach those other people as well. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing I've done is I've just got to, I follow up and talk to people. I talked to people that were on the conversation, the people that weren't on the conversations to get a feel for what people like about what we're doing and what they don't like. And I've gotten some great feedback that way. The feedback is what's made me change some things. So without it, I'd just be complacent and doing what we've been doing. And so by getting people involved, what would you like to hear us talk about? What would move you? Getting that type of feedback, because if it is one of those people I can't reach, I'm not going to reach them by saying the same thing over and over. You have to make people feel involved, you know, sincerely. You know, okay, you don't like to hear these topics. What would make you more interested? And by doing that, we've got some really good involvement from people I don't think we would have reached without it. You know, I just love that. And I love how it speaks to your humility, your humility that you reference in your own bio, but it's a humility to show that you want to get better, that you're not just thinking you have all the answers, but you're looking at ways to reach a broader audience, which also speaks to how committed you are to diversity and inclusion, because you're not just singularly focused on inviting one audience or this audience or another audience, but you're really trying to, how do I expand my reach? How do I get to all these people? And I, I really like that follow-up principle. I really think that it's powerful to go back and say, okay, what's working? What's not working? Get people to assess. And in my current doctorate program, we're doing an assessment program right now. And it's interesting because we're looking at all forms of assessment to evaluate if true learning happened. And before this course, I thought, assessments referred to tests or surveys, but really assessments, any way that you can evaluate if learning is occurring, it could be through an assignment, it could be through a conversation. And it just blew my mind that assessment had such a broader terminology than I was originally exposed to. And I think that, you know, as you look at how you're reaching out to people, I think there's also an opportunity to look at how you're asking those questions, because sometimes how we present a question also encourages bias in an answer. So if our questions positively phrased or negatively phrased, we can, we can limit the amount of feedback we get. So I think there's an opportunity as you're asking those questions to even evaluate even further, well, am I asking the right questions? 
And so do you do any of that when you're looking at how you ask questions? Do you kind of look back at yourself and try to analyze how do I get more information out of people? And if you do, how do you take that on? So that's great. I think that's something I just started doing more recently. I don't know if I've always done a very good job of it. I've just been trying to be more self-aware in general when I have conversations with people about these hot topics, because even if I consider myself to be pretty self-aware and have control, just the slightest body language could push this conversation to be positive or negative. So I really tried to lock in when I talk about this and say, hey, what's my goal? What am I trying to accomplish in this question, this conversation? Is that how I'm coming across for the entirety of this conversation? And it's so much <laughs> easier said than done. The, the smallest stuff can, can set you off. And even if you have the intentions, you don't want that to happen, it just doesn't take much. And so, yes, I tried to do a better job as of late to make sure that I enter in these conversations with a specific goal and I stick to it and that I'm not pushing them one way or the other because I do want transparent feedback. And if you don't set this conversation, the question up the right way, they're going to just give me what they think I want to hear for the sake of ending the conversation. I love it. Some great points, Marcus. I want to read a quote real quick because you just totally nailed this, I think. Larry Spears, when he was summarizing a lot of Robert Greenleaf's writing, who kind of coined the term servant leadership, and he summarized a bunch of his writings into 10 characteristics of servant leadership. And one of those characteristics that I think you're just really embodying in what you're doing is awareness. And it says general awareness and especially self-awareness strengthens the servant leader. Awareness helps one in understanding issues involving ethics, power, and values. It lends itself to being able to view most situations from a more integrated, holistic position. As Greenleaf observed, awareness is not a giver of solace. It is just the opposite. It is a disturber and an awakener. Able leaders are, are usually sharply awake and reasonably disturbed. They are not seekers after solace. They have their own inner serenity. And I just want to applaud you for what you're doing. I think you really embody that. And I love that phrase, awareness is not the giver of solace. It's just the opposite. It is a disturber and an awakener. And when we really disturb that peace within ourselves and we ask ourselves, you know, how do I get better feedback? How do I make this a broader conversation? And when I say broader, I, I mean the topic sets, but I also mean broader the audience to bring in diverse viewpoints to reap the benefits of diversity so that we don't just sound off our opinions in echo chambers. So thanks so much for what you're doing. And how do you, as busy as I know you are, and I think many of our leaders, they get busy. Are there any practices that you take that help you be more self-aware? I try to read. That's one thing. And I ask for feedback. And that's actually something I got from uh, you know our mutual friend, Captain Orr. I've had the pleasure of, of working alongside her a couple of times. And I've never done a project with her where she didn't ask me for some type of feedback. And for as high ranking as she is in the military, it's intimidating to want to do that. But I know it's coming from a good place. So I give it to her. And I say, well, if she can do it, then surely I, I'm not too big to ask for feedback. So that's one thing. I always ask for feedback when I do something so I can get better at it. And other than that, I just try to read. So I've read Radical Candor, which is a great book. I've read Crucial Conversations, which is a great book. I'm always trying to find ways to self-reflect and see if there's any course corrections I can do. But at the end of the day, you're right. It's really exhausting when you try to be self-aware, because that's the thing. It doesn't always happen naturally. I always leave a conversation and that's just, what did I just do wrong? What did I do right? What can I do better next time? Instead of just going to the next project, 
So it's exhausting. But if you're passionate about what you're doing, then you'll just put the work in. So that's what it comes down to. If you know why you're doing it and you still feel that way, then you'll find a way to do it. I love it. And if you're passionate about what you're doing, you'll find a way. That's a great quote. Just love it. And I also want to kind of give a caveat. I want to, I want to talk to you all you listening for a second about this phase of exhaustion, because a lot of these things we talk about, they can be exhausting. They can be intimidating. And so there's a great story about, I think it's a British cycling team and how they were just awful. They were just really, they didn't, they didn't medal for decades. They just were awful. And so they got a new coach who just focused on doing 1% better and it's 1% better, 1% better. And then they developed into one of the greatest cycling teams there was just by focusing on 1% better. So you don't overdo it. Don't wear yourself out. Just focus on that 1%. You know, how can we be 1% more self-aware or how can we, you know, get that 1% broader of the conversation, but, you know, pick what it is that you want to focus on and just 1% at a time, 1% at a time. And so as you start to feel those feelings of exhaustion and being overwhelmed creep in, that's my advice about that is just look at that 1% because I watch Marcus and in our limited interactions, I can tell he might go 10% and that's great. But part of self-awareness is recognizing when you need to dial back or when you, you got a lot more capacity and maybe you can jump to 20, 25%. That's part of that self-awareness. And I just love it. One of the things you sent me in a text kind of was we were talking about things we were, wanted to discuss was this is a quote from you. Good leaders produce great leaders. And you said, you always trace your love of being a leader back to a chief you worked for what he did for your career almost made you feel obligated to want to do the same for others. Okay. First of all, good leaders produce great leaders is a token quote that probably is going to be the title of this episode. I love it. Wonderful job, Marcus. But talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on that. Oh yeah. I'd be doing myself and, and this man a disservice if I didn't bring up now Master Chief Zach Ayers. I worked for him in base New Orleans. And at this time of my career, my contract was up just like anybody else. I was considering getting out. And he had just got there. He said, let's have a conversation. He was the first person, I think, that gave me a clear vision of what our mission was and what he saw me as an individual being able to do for the Coast Guard. He said, look, I know you want to get out, finish your degree, and have an impact on the service. He's like, but did you recognize you have a skill set where you can have a big impact on the Coast Guard? And he broke it down. He's, he gave me goals. He said, I see you doing this, this, and this, starting with being a listed person of the year here in New Orleans. He said, I don't see any reason you can't. And I'm like, okay, okay, chief, whatever. But he turned something on in me to switch. And my career took off after that. He took my focus on my job from being this everyday, mundane, administrative person. to like, no, you can do more. You can have an impact. And this is how you can do it. And I'm going to give you the tools to do it. And I'm going to challenge you more than you want to be challenged. I'm going to make you uncomfortable because I want to get the best version out of you. And he's one of my best friends to this day. He's one of the greatest leaders I've ever seen in the Coast Guard. And... Moving forward, I just told myself, I want to have that impact on somebody else. That's amazing. The ability to be able to articulate that and then reach me and then give me the tools and see it out. It's hard to teach that. And uh, man, I get I get like emotional every time I talk about it because it was like a life changing experience for me. And he was just doing that because that's who he is. He wasn't asking for anything in return. That's just the kind of person he is. And he does that for everybody who works for him. He tries to get the best out of them. We're going to get the mission done. That's going to happen. But what are you doing for yourself? How can I help you be greater as we complete that mission? And uh, he just changed my whole perspective on how to be a coworker, a peer, a subordinate. And uh, that's what I try to emulate. Some wonderful things in there. Some 
and I want to dissect it a little bit. You said something that I just have to focus on about being made uncomfortable to grow. And we talk about the, the different zones, the comfort zone, the growth zone, and the panic zone. And so no growth happens in the comfort zone or the panic zone. It happens in the growth zone, which is where we're a little bit uncomfortable, but not overly uncomfortable. And that's an art to kind of meet that barrier there to get true growth. But going back to some of those things we talked about earlier and having tough conversations, a lot of times those tough conversations are uncomfortable, but if we don't have them, no growth happens. So how do you take these lessons you got from this wonderful now master chief and apply them into your life to help people get into their growth zone, which is somewhat uncomfortable? I think it starts with communication. I think if he was unable to communicate what his vision was and why he was you know, giving me the task he was giving me and the challenges, I would have been confused and probably not wanted to work for him. But by him sitting me down and being transparent and being willing to have that tough conversation, I jumped on board. I said, oh, okay, that's what we're doing here. And so it starts with that. It starts with always being able to find a way to articulate what you're trying to do for any given project. I think that's what it starts with. If you fail that, the rest of it's going to be almost impossible to complete. You know, no matter what I'm doing, no matter if it's setting up a monthly conversation, inviting a speaker in or, or doing something for waterways management. If I can't communicate why we're doing it, then the rest is going to be hard to do. So it starts with communication and not being afraid to have honest and tough conversations. I think that's the greatest skill set I took out of that. And then just persevering, just being resilient and keep going. Some great stuff. And I also think the communication was anchored in what you said earlier. He believed in you and he showed you to believe in yourself. And so I think that that communication is great, but it really takes that that relationship of trust that's established to make that communication resonate with you to sink in. And so, you know, how do you look at people all around you and, and not just see them for who they are, but see them for what they can become? Yeah, that's great. So you, you have to be intentional and caring about your people. So it starts there. If you intentionally show that you care for people, they will open up to you. And then what, what's really hard for me is I had to learn to listen. I had to learn to shut up and listen. Because by him listening to who I was, he learned how to maximize my potential. So by listening to what people want to do, because often what we do is if we have any, any amount of success, or if I want to help this person out, they got to do what I did. And that's not the case. And so by listening to what people actually want to do and caring for them, I can then figure out how to put them in the best position to succeed in anything. So, and that's hard for me. I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> but by actively listening and finding out what people actually want, like what's going to motivate that particular individual, uh, you can do wonders for putting them in the right spots on any given project or, or whatever it is. Actively listening is so much more than just hearing the words people are saying, right? I think sometimes we all, I think we intuitively know this, but it's so hard to do it, to look at what are the things the person's not saying because they might be too afraid to say it or just uncomfortable. What's their body language saying? you know, all these different things that are part of active listening. And, and I think it's, we all understand that, but then actually putting that into practice is so much more challenging. I'm getting ready to retire. And so I've been thinking about things I might say at my retirement speech, and I'm not a search and rescue professional per se. I, I know enough about search and rescue, but it's such a part of our organization that it just resonates really well with me. And one of the things I've, I've realized over time is that 
we talk about POS or percentage of success and, and survivability rates when we're looking at search and rescue. And so you look at if we have a last known position on someone, if we know where they're at, our probability of success is so much higher. And if we don't, what do we do? We figure out where they were and where they're going and we try to find out where they are. And so often we just look at someone and we have a vision of where we want them to go or where the organization wants them to go, but we don't ever find out where they're at. And so our probability of success with that individual is extremely low. But when we find out where they're at, and even sometimes when they don't know where they're at, or they're still struggling to figure that out, look at where they have been and where they want to go, we can kind of help them on that trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think that's hard to do. And that's why, that's why so many of us don't do it sometimes. And it goes back to being uncomfortable. It's much easier to set someone up for success to follow what you did because you're familiar with it. But when you, when you learn an individual is there and you don't know what that means, you don't relate to that, it's really hard to figure out to get them to the next spot. But by being vulnerable, asking questions and continuing to follow up, you know, you can get it done. And that just goes back to actually caring for them and having that relationship and that bond. And it, it does wonders on both sides. It lets them know they can open up and be honest. And, you know, and, and you'll have that passion to do it for them. But it's hard. Yeah, I love it. And I want to kind of pause there to leave us with our challenge for this episode. I really love some of the things Marcus has been talking about and this real this principle of being uncomfortable. So take a minute, evaluate yourself, all of you listening. Are you pushing yourself into that growth zone where it's somewhat uncomfortable? And are you looking at the people around you and how you can encourage them to step out of that comfort zone to be a little uncomfortable and actually grow? Take some time to assess that this week as you think about where you're at, where you're at as a leader, where, the, where you're helping the people around you and how you can help them grow. Well, Marcus, I absolutely love some of the things you've said. And one of the last points you sent me to talk about, I really want to hit on before we wrap up is the the great resignation. And you say people are quitting jobs at a record high. It's more important than ever to foster a good working environment because people are practically looking for a reason to leave the service to explore jobs they have a passion for. So how do we make the Coast Guard a premier employer of all the people in our country? Oh, the million dollar question. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier, there's, there's always such an emphasis on the mission, the numbers, you know, we're both in the Marine prevention world. So there's the qualifications and we get lost in pushing people to achieve the mission, get their qualifications, hit so many inspections that we forget to check in on how they're doing. And I think you have to place a greater emphasis on the people than you do for the mission at times. And that's hard for a service like us that does so much with so little already to kind of do. But right now, people are in this state of, first of all, people are quitting, so jobs are opening up. So for these people that want to get out, there's jobs available to them. And my goal is we need to make it hard for them to want to make that decision. We need to treat them with such care, provide them with such opportunities for growth, be intentional that we want them to do well, that it makes them it makes it hard for them to want to leave this service. And I don't know that that's always been done because we're so focused on hitting the numbers and hitting the missions that they become an afterthought. So by just placing a greater emphasis on our people, caring for them, I think we'll make that decision tough for them. And that, that's all you can ask. Because at the end of the day, if there's a better opportunity for, on the outside, then that's good for them. 
I support that too. I just want to put them in a type of environment that it makes them hard to want to leave it. What a noble goal. And I feel so optimistic to know that the Coast Guard's in the hands of growing leaders like you, because what a great vision. So many great things you've talked about. And I know this is just a fraction of the insight and leadership ability that you have, Marcus. So I'm so glad that we could amplify your voice on this podcast just a little bit. And hopefully others will find ways to amplify your voice and others like you, because there's wonderful things being said here, but I love that emphasis. And I think that any of us in any of our organizations can take this home, make it hard for them to want to leave, give them so much care and consideration that it becomes a hard decision. And if they leave, well, then that was the best decision for them. But at least, you know, you did everything in the power. And I just love that philosophy. I think we would benefit if more leaders in the Coast Guard had that philosophy. And I applaud you. So as we wrap up, any last final comments you want to leave the listeners with today? First of all, thank you for having me. What you're doing with this podcast is incredible. When you look at podcasts, it's typically a celebrity. For you to give voices to just normal people like me, give us a chance to get our thoughts out there. I think that's really cool and really amazing. So thank you. And I look forward to hearing more guests that you have. Well, thanks, Marcus. And in case I haven't iterated this fully, one of the goals of the podcast is to show people that leadership comes in all shapes and sizes, that there's amazing leaders all around us. And sometimes we doubt our own leadership ability. And so one of the things I really wanted to do was give a diverse group of representation of leadership levels, of ethnic backgrounds, of cultural influences, of organizations, of all these different types of leaders so that you out there listening could start to see a leader within yourself. Because all of us have some capacity to lead. And if we work on that, we can build that capacity and we can better influence others. And we can do exactly what Marcus said. We can become the leader that makes it hard to want to leave that organization. And if you've done that, I think you've done a great job as a leader. Well, thanks again, Marcus. I just have absolutely loved this conversation. And I just so enthused with everything you had to say. And I hope you listeners enjoyed it. And thanks so much for joining us on another episode of That All Might Be Edified discussions on servant leadership. And please like, review, and share the podcast so that others may hear these wonderful voices. And have a wonderful day. 